Well, let's jump out uh, right now to the Sprint special guest line. Uh, Sprint, they make uh, it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. She is the state epidemiologist for the Utah Department of Health. She is Dr. Angela Dunn with us here on The Big Show. Dr. Dunn, thank you very much for a few minutes. How are you today? Yeah, of course. Good. Happy to be here. I'm doing well. Hey, real quick, before we get into all sorts of stuff, I've got to ask, what do you think of Gordon's feature piece he wrote? I think it gave me a lot of credit that maybe I don't deserve, but he did a fantastic job. <laughs> well, as I always tell people, uh, subjects as I'm talking to them, it's only as good as people are willing to open up to. And Angela, one thing that you have proven is that you're very articulate and uh, know your stuff. And one of the things in your story that stood out to me is is the emphasis your parents put on serving other people. And as a doctor, you can... That can be a very lucrative uh, profession, but you seem to lean toward uh, a tendency to want to help people, and, and that stood out to me. Yeah, sure. I mean, definitely you don't go into public health to make millions, um, but it is it is certainly a passion, and I love not only the people I serve, but the people I work with. We have a great public health system here with so many passionate people that are truly engaged in protecting the health of all Utahns. You know, I've really tried to follow this uh, whole thing locally because I feel obviously it has the most impact on me personally, and it's also where I can have the most impact. So I've appreciated your updates and, you know, with with Spencer Cox and kind of the the team that's uh, been assigned to lead us through this. What's that been like, really a whole community looking to you for leadership? I mean, honestly, it it truly is a team approach, and that's what makes our response here so effective in Utah, that you've got public health at the table with economic experts, um, community experts in virology, immunology, and clinical medicine alongside the businesses, alongside the politicians, because this is really a multifaceted response, and so it really takes all sectors to have an effective approach. And so that's why I think we've been so successful, is that we've all been able to come to the table to discuss these important topics and, and, and make hard decisions, you know? How do you handle it, doctor, when, when uh, well, let me back up. The people I talked to about you to get background, they all said that you're a people person and you're able to bring people together. What do you do when you as a health professional, as a physician, have a certain feeling about the way things should be treated on, on a grand scale, and you have others at the table who might be more concerned about economics, finances, of the thing, and all that. How do you meet in the middle, or how do you come to some sort of condition that's workable? Sure. I mean, I think for kind of any negotiation strategy, it's first important to identify what your common goal is, and, and we're all seeking a common goal. We want to end this pandemic as quickly as possible. From the health perspective, we want to have the smallest number of cases, the smallest number of illnesses and deaths, and then from the economic perspective, we want to have you know the smallest economic impact. Um, so we're all shooting for the same goal, and that really helps start the, the conversation um, around what are the appropriate next steps. And how are we doing on that journey? We, I mean, we are doing fantastic. Our local health departments, our clinical providers on the ground have done such a great job in terms of identifying cases quickly and, and doing all the, you know, boots on the ground contact tracing and identifying people who might have been exposed. Um, we are starting to see flattening of the curve, as they say. I mean, we are starting to see lower case numbers every day. We want to make sure that that keeps it up for a couple of weeks before we, you know, hang our hat on anything. But 
but we are doing well. And a lot of it is not only public health, but people out there in Utah adhering to social restriction recommendations. I mean, without people adhering to those, we wouldn't nearly be as far along in the epidemic as we are. See, this is this is the conundrum here, because what you just said, you know better than anyone that it's true. And yet you have people out there who are involved in protests, who want things to be opened up. What's your message to, to those folks? I know it's so hard. We are asking the public to do a lot right now. We're asking you to stay home, to not work, to not engage with your community as you usually do. And and that's really tough, especially when you start seeing these lower numbers and it's easy to quickly jump to the conclusion that we should open everything up. But this is actually the time where we need to be really disciplined about social distancing to drive our numbers as close to zero as possible so that we prevent a second peak from happening. So now is the time where people need to be more disciplined than ever with the social distancing. Dr. Angela Dunn is on with us on the big show. And, and Dr. Dunn, you come on a, a sports sh- uh, show, you probably expect some clunky sports analogies. But on those uh, those numbers that you're talking about, for, for average folks like us who are doing our best to, to combat this thing, what is the scoreboard? What is relevant information that we can pay attention to to let us know how things are going? Yeah, so the first thing to look at is, of course, our number of cases every day relative to the number of tests we're doing. Um, So we've been holding steady about 5% of everybody we've tested have been positive throughout this outbreak. We are starting to see a decrease in that. So we're at 4.5% now, and that means that we're finding less disease, even though we're testing a lot of people. And that's really important. That's a great sign. Um, And, of course, the other is hospitalization. So our hospitalization rate is decreasing, and that means that people aren't getting as sick as they were at the beginning of this. And that's something that we really work hard to prevent. So who should be tested, do you think, uh, if you have symptoms or are people being tested who don't have symptoms? Yeah, so it's really important um, for any clinical test for people to have a reason to be tested. It influences the accuracy of the test. So for the COVID-19 test, it's really important to either have a close exposure to someone who you know has COVID or have any symptoms that are consistent with COVID. If you don't have either one of those things, your chances of having a false positive or getting a positive result when you really don't have disease is pretty high. And we don't we don't want to put that burden on anyone. So we're recommending close contact with a known positive COVID case or a mild symptom um, of COVID-19 and and you should get tested. I want to ask you about your experience on that infamous night uh, with the Utah Jazz in in Oklahoma City. And I know Gordon told a bit of this story uh, when he wrote about you. But the, the, the focus of the world for a brief period of time was on the Utah Jazz and on Utah and on Salt Lake City. And you, of course, were right in the middle of all of that. What was that experience like? I mean, it was it was just nuts. I mean, of course, we would have the first NBA player to test positive for COVID. I mean, these types of things for, you know, a relatively small state, we seem to have these kind of one-offs happen to us where we get the limelight for a little bit for, for good or for bad. So it was a crazy 48 hours um, filled with kind of a lot of unknown because we weren't sure, you know, how many people were potentially exposed and trying to do all the contact tracing as quickly as possible to ease fears and really identify those who, you know, had close contact with, with the two positive jazz players. Um, and then, of course, reaching out to all the worried family members, fans, um, jazz staff, and, of course, jazz players to tell them next steps um, really uh, was, was a good, good experience because they are a great organization and very respectful and really wanted to know the good information that they could follow and be a good example for the rest of Utah. Um, and it just, 
it, hi- it kind of put public health in the limelight and we don't do we didn't do anything for the jazz that we don't do for every other single person that tests positive or comes into close contact with a COVID case here in Utah. Um, so, it, so it definitely highlighted our processes that we do for every Utah in here. Continuing on with the sports theme, Angela, you were a, a college volleyball player. What was that experience like and how has it helped you through your career? Yeah, I mean, I think playing any team sport um, definitely helps it has helped me um, be able to bring people together and understand how to work with people from different backgrounds to achieve a common goal. And of course, especially in, in women's college sports, there's, there's a lot of drama. Um, so being able to work through that and still come out with um, a successful outcome is something that I can certainly apply to every aspect of my life today. I'm glad it's you who said that, not me. Uh, Dr. Dunn, can you tell us uh, about antibody tests? This is something I've been uh, trying to read more about uh, recently, and I've seen uh, Lieutenant Governor Cox mention that this could be part of Utah's plan. Can you tell us what that is and what we can learn from it? Sure. So antibody testing is something that you take from a tube of blood. So a needle goes, you know, usually in your in your in, in your arm, and they pull out a tube of blood and they test it for something called antibodies. Antibodies are what your immune system makes in response to an infection. So we would be looking specifically for COVID-19 antibodies, and it's a sign that somebody has been exposed to COVID. Um, Sometimes this means that you can be immune, but we just don't know enough about COVID-19 to know if that means you're immune and can't get infected. But this antibody test will be essential for us to understand everybody who's been exposed to COVID-19 in Utah um, who maybe weren't tested with the nose swab that everyone's getting right now. And so it'll really allow us to know who's still vulnerable, who could still be infected in the future, um, and and where we should put resources right now. Um, So this is something that nationally, every state is looking toward, including our federal partners. It's an essential piece of this outbreak response, and and we here in Utah are actually going to start doing it um, in small pilot states in the coming weeks. And what's the accuracy percentage on those kinds of tests? Yeah, so again, it has to do with your likelihood of having disease to start out with. So, um, you know, being in an area like Summit County or Salt Lake County where there's a lot of COVID-19 is where we're going to start because it decreases the false positives or, you know, identifying people who maybe the test says that you've been exposed, but you really haven't. And so the key is to really do these testing where where there is a lot of known disease already. So we'll be starting in Summit in Salt Lake County and then and then move on from there. Dr. Angela Dunn with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And Dr. Dunn, you alluded to the, the good folks of our healthcare system uh, a little bit earlier. And I want to give you a chance maybe to circle back there and give some attaboys because it seems like our, our healthcare system here in, in Salt Lake and Utah and along the Wasatch Front has really responded to this thing admirably. I mean, we are so lucky in Utah to have such great health systems that come together in times of crisis to have a standardized approach to how we react to this COVID-19. And that has been essential in our success. I mean, our providers are out there on the front line donning all of this personal protective equipment, sticking nasal swabs in people's noses, treating people in the hospital that might have COVID and they don't know and potentially exposing themselves um, and everybody's working really long hours to ensure that Utahns can still get the health care that they deserve and need. Um, and it's just, it, it can't be stressed more that, that they are the true heroes of this. And, and our job in public health is to do everything we can to protect the health care system um, so that health care workers can safely provide care to their patients without having to worry about being infected with COVID. 
Now, I'm sure you've never been asked this question, but uh, what's your prediction moving forward for what's going to happen next? Yeah, you know, predictions in pandemics with novel coronaviruses are um, probably not too smart to make. Um, but there are signs that um, throughout the country that the peaks of cases will probably be in June. Um, and we might see a decrease in the warmer months and then in the fall potentially have another run of COVID-19 when all the respiratory viruses are circulating. Um, so, so that's where we're kind of planning for, um, but hoping that, that we never see COVID-19 again. <laughs> It, it's it's amazing how much we're learning on a daily basis, I guess. And, and when you look at it from a broader perspective, is it impressive with how, I guess, society has mobile, mobilized to combat this unique situation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially in Utah, it is amazing how we're getting all the different sectors together to try to figure out exactly what's going on and, and how we can prevent more infections. Um, again, like you said, we're learning something new every day, it seems, about COVID-19. So getting that knowledge out and then applying it to our response is essential. What about the mental side of this? This has to be taking something of a toll, uh, the worry out there, the concern. What about what goes on between the years? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are asking people to stay at home away from people. And that takes a toll on everybody mentally. Um, mental health is a, is a real thing we need to protect, especially during this pandemic. Intermountain has set up um, a mental health hotline dealing specifically with COVID-19, and our coronavirus hotline also has tips on that. Um, we need to make sure that we're reaching out to individuals that might be living alone and not have that connection of family members in their household and calling them or, or using video chat to try to make those connections as much as possible so that we can all stay mentally healthy. Dr. Den, while we've had you, I've been, been thinking all day to make sure that we ask you all the relevant stuff our informa- or, or information that our listeners need to know. And I guess I'll ask you an open-ended question. Is there anything that we haven't addressed that you feel like our listeners really need to take home and inform their families about our current situation? I mean, you, you definitely asked all the relevant questions. You know, I just... I want to reiterate that I I know what we're asking the public to do is hard with the social distancing, um, but the last thing we want to do is is open up everything too early and see a huge spike in cases. So it's a very sensitive time right now in our outbreak, and the policymakers are are doing everything they can to, to make the right decisions moving forward. So patience and understanding and social distancing are crucial right now. So, Angela, I interviewed you last week, and you told me about your story. You told me about going to Africa and with the Ebola outbreak over there. And last night, I happened to watch a movie, Blood Diamond, and uh, it was set in Sierra uh, Leone. And uh, they mentioned a few of the places in the movie that you had talked about actually being in. Uh, Hopefully, it's not a little less violent over there now than it was back when that movie was, or the period of time that that was uh, sort of addressing. But tell us about your Africa experience and what that was like. Sure. So um, I was working for the CDC and responded to the um, 2014 Ebola outbreak um, at the peak of the cases in Sierra Leone and went to a small village called Tonkalili where um, I was responsible for setting up everything we're talking about here, surveillance, contact tracing, case investigation, um, healthcare worker protection, 
Um, very different situation, though, right? Here in Utah, we're talking about using apps and online technology and, and other such things. There, we were literally using pen and paper. Um, we didn't have internet. Our electricity was, you know, coming in and out. And so it was really going back to shoe leather, public health, um, hiking. So we could only drive so far, and then we would have to hike for you know, an hour or two to get to a village to actually do contact tracing. Um, so it was really bare bones in terms of public health action, um, but definitely prepared me to be able to hopefully effectively respond to a pandemic in, in the U.S. Um, so it was a challenging, frightening, um, and emotional time. Um, but but I, I just look back on that and hope that I, I made even a smidge of difference in that village. You told me a story when you were over there. You always wore long sleeves and long pants. And at one point, you were hiking somewhere to to do your job. And uh, you had your pants rolled up to your knees. And uh, you actually had a young a young kid reach out and touch your leg, and, and you, you, you I'm paraphrasing your quote, but I thought it was really really powerful that you said it was a strange feeling to have the human touch feel so threatening. Uh, that that is that's fascinating, and I think there you can extrapolate from that a little bit with what Utahns and Americans and people around the world are feeling right now with with what's going on. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, we're so used to being able to comfort each other physically during times of stress. Um, so I, I'm, I'm coming into my office every day, and I only interact with a handful of people. And during the stressful time, I mean, daily, I've wanted to give people hugs, um, you know, just out of comfort. And, and we're not able to do that. So, so it is strange that we just don't have that ability to physically touch each other um, in a comforting way anymore during this pandemic. Well, Dr. Dunn, we want to thank you for taking a few minutes of your very, very valuable time to come on with us. And thanks for being such a great communicator during this whole story, uh, this whole thing. A lot of us are, are looking to you. So thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for getting the word out. You guys have a good afternoon. You too. Thank you. Thank you very much. Dr. Angela Dunn, uh, Utah State Epidemiologist, uh, Utah Department of Health. And I, I thought that was just terrific, Gordon. That was so useful for me personally. I hope it was for our listeners because she is she's very clear. She's very to the point. And like I said, she's a, she's a really good communicator. We're, we're lucky to have her during this uh, particular period of our local history. Yeah, she's smart and she cares about people. And, you know, and, and, but her job is so much bigger than that because, yes, yeah, she's looking out for the welfare of Utahns, but she's also dealing with politicians and, and she's in the middle of the mix, you know, and somehow you've got to bring all this together and try to uh, find the best path forward. And I'm, I'm sure that's what she's trying to do. She liked your piece, Gordon. Is that... Is that you good? sound surprised? No, 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 no. I, I was just, I just had this running through my mind. Like, if you've ever heard somebody review, like, if you were to write a feature on Austin, and then somebody down the line says, "Hey, what do you think of Gordon's feature?" Have you ever had somebody say, "Oh, that stunk"? I have had that experience uh, on occasion. Oftentimes, uh, people are, are happy with uh, with what's uh, been written, and every once in a while, someone is uh, angry. And uh, I've had I've had the whole the whole spectrum in Cause, that regard. Because I did like your your piece you wrote on her, and it doesn't surprise me that she liked it either. But there was a part of me that was hoping she would go. Meh, it was all right. 
Oh, really? What part of you was hoping for that? Because, the part uh, that wanted to chuckle. I'll punch that part uh, <laughs> later on. You know. But uh, no, she was she was very interesting to talk to, and uh, I like telling those stories. I don't do as much feature writing as I once did uh, when I was in L.A. I was a feature writer. I did that full time. And, uh, you know, from from sports to I mean, everybody from John Elway to to Wolfgang Puck. I mean, that's what I did. I traveled around and uh, interviewed people and told their stories. And uh, I don't do it much anymore. So every once in a while, somebody will say, hey, why don't you do something on so and so? And that's what happened in this case. And there is so much interest, so many people concerned about what's going on with this coronavirus that they they have sort of focused in on Angela Dunn and were eager to know a little bit more about her. So that's what I tried to provide. I believe it's pronounced Wolfgang. Wolfgang. Not like a like a gong, like a like a giant symbol. Well, like Wolfgang, you know. No, it's German Wolfgang. Pronunciation. Uh, okay. Well, you can say it that way. Potato, potato, whatever. Tomato, tomato. What, whatever you want to. Porsche, Porsche. <laughs> no, there's only one right way to say that, and you've been mispronouncing it for your entire life. Uh, yeah. It's a good thing you don't own one. Porsche. Then, then, then that would be unacceptable. They'd be going around saying, "Yeah, I own a Porsche." I bet Wolfgang owns a Porsche. Uh, or Porsche? I can't even get, I can't even remember which one I troll you about anymore. <laughs> Porsche. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Hi, yeah. my name's Wolfgang, and I'm driving my Porsche. Yeah, he probably could uh, could drive fifty of them if he wanted to. 